BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. All right, lots to get to here. We got to talk about LeBron's debut in Portland, where the Lakers seem like they never win, and, and that uh, has continued. Uh, but first, uh, let's get to a little news. What we got? Well, so it happened a couple of days ago now, I believe it was on Wednesday morning, that Mike Malone got an extension from the Denver Nuggets, a two-year contract extension. Apparently, they were concerned about the potentiality of him being a lame duck. And So he, what he expired at the end me, of this year? I'm not sure. Coaching contracts, because there isn't necessarily a, like a sport track or whatever for it. I'm not off the top of my head. I'm not entirely well, sure. So usually it's uh, a four minus one, right? So when was his first year? I want to say he's three years in already. Yeah, he is. Because remember, he like wasn't starting Jokic, and then Jokic emerged at the end of his first year. This is his fourth season. Yeah. 15-16 was his first year, yeah. Okay, so so this actually, and you never know, too, like, this could be a two-year extension that, again, has a team option on it, you know? So, uh, and the, the Denver ownership, never one to be particularly interested in, in paying a coach. And so, uh, yeah, maybe this is just, all right, so he's not in a lame duck year. But when they talk about the extension i thought it was going to be you know three years four years or something which seemed kind of crazy to me but this is a is a little bit more reasonable if you subscribe to the idea that you should never have a lame duck coach which i don't necessarily but uh this is a decent hedge it's a hedge my concern with it is that the nuggets by virtue of the other moves they made and overall you know the the bigger scale stuff Jokic, i have no problem with that signing and the structure of the must thing that's the big moving piece they have left is that they don't have a lot of things now that they can change if for whatever reason this season it doesn't work there was a you know that idea we talked about this in the coaching fired section of the preview podcast we did and i mentioned all these guys where it's like well if it goes wrong he could be one guy and because other than the power forward spot and because denver doesn't have as much financial flexibility now that they signed will barton and everything else so i thought maybe you know they could figure out that malone is the answer i think he has helped he has helped them overall but you have these kind of two competing things which is one it doesn't seem like he's one of those clear-cut value added coaches but those coaches are also incredibly hard to find so it would not be certain that if they replaced Malone during the season after the season that they would necessarily find somebody better than he is yeah that that may be the case and this is I mean it is a pretty talented roster for a job that could come open but I mean to me I agree with you I mean my view would be all right let's at least see how the first month of the season goes here they got a pretty easy schedule if things don't go well then maybe you you still have the option of moving on from him but if the idea though is like this self-fulfilling prophecy like that simply by not extending him you're going to cause your team to play worse which again i do not necessarily agree with this is something that certainly could be studied empirically 
as well i'm not aware if anyone has, has done that to just look at what the performance is of coaches who are in a quote-unquote lame duck season versus those who get extensions in the same season even there you're going to have some selection bias uh because generally if coaches get extended i mean you would have to control for like what the team's record was before but there's a, it would be a way to at least get some information on this i i am not a huge believer in this idea that like simply by extending your coach you're gonna get your team to play better or perhaps more accurately to not play worse uh and i just don't think malone has earned it right and what you said i i think is very interesting here and we've talked about this a few times where those really good coaches the really value-added coaches they are tough to find and it's also kind of difficult to know exactly who those are going to be although i'm starting to get a feel for it i mean i think we all kind of thought kakashkov is going to be, be good and we'll see where he ends up but he certainly looks like he's been pretty solid we'll see what nick nurse is going to look like though he certainly seems to have a lot of modern principles i, I want to see what the raptors look like this season i mean there are guys who come out of the coaching ranks who as far as we know have the right philosophies you never know how they're going to work from an emotional standpoint but there are also coaches who come out and i think malone is kind of one of these who you know doesn't really seem to he's kind of a taskmaster a disciplinary and a little bit of a hothead you know uh i mean and certainly that's not to say that he's like you know these college screamers or something like that but you do get a feel for like all right who's a progressive coach and who isn't i don't know that malone is that and so you know i think he's a below average coach i think we did our coach rankings he's in the 20s somewhere uh maybe not a terrible coach but he certainly does a, a fair number of things that seem pretty obvious they don't agree with and they're not like they're some great defensive team right i mean if you, you're just gonna look at like what they've done like what can you point to like oh man mike Malone has done an awesome job and that's reflected on the court in this way you know so the idea to me well, is, and yeah, also some of the ref- some of the reforms that they've had have been through some serious pain i mean think yeah. back to all the time that Jokic played next to another big you know that that wasn't necessarily oh Mike Malone saw something that nobody saw I mean Jokic is an amazing player and they activated a lot of that by going through it and some of the best things they've done have been kind of fought by Malone's instincts and so I don't you know and, and something we should note like I, I off the top of my head yeah I think we did have him somewhere in like the the 20s in that podcast that coaching is better now so there aren't as many like being in the 20s now to me does not mean the same thing yeah. as it would have let's say 10 years no, ago like, like, I'm not saying but, he sucks you know or anything like that. I mean, there right. are some coaches who suck, and you're right. There are there are fewer of those these days. But it is also important to note that there maybe modern principles, getting somebody who can activate a little bit more of their defensive potential. And so, so I, the reason why I wouldn't have done this is just because we still don't know exactly kind of where the where this team is going. Yeah. And also, I'm not completely confident in what they are relative to their potential. So is is he really boosting them? Because we, you, I mean, you and I both love Jamal Murray. We really like Nikola Jokic, and then Gary Harris is is, is a good player and. Millsap has done well when he's been on the floor and they have, you know, their bench pieces are their bench pieces. And so I, I feel like another, co- you know, there are other coaches that could do well with this lineup. And so I don't know what job other jobs are going to be open this coming year. And I mean, we saw Budenholzer take the Milwaukee job. So it's not like, you know, good coaches are going to turn down opportunities with good talent just because it's in, not in a glamorous market or something. I think we were beyond that if the Cronkies are willing to pay for a coach. And that's another question. Yeah, that might be part of it too but to finish the point i was making i I sidetracked myself 
because there are so few good coaches and they are pretty difficult to identify beforehand i think that almost means that you should fire more coaches when you have a pretty good idea that maybe okay you know does mike Bullock deserve to get fired is he so bad that he deserves to lose his job you know we think of losing your job as so much different than like a player getting cut or not getting re-signed we think because losing your job is something that like the average joe can agree with right you get fired or you get downsized from your desk job they equate it to that as opposed to just like a player getting cut right it's like somehow those things are different uh but and there are a lot of people who would say hey you know what like i don't deserve to lose my job i'm not doing such a bad job but you need to take another swing to try and find that coach who is awesome when it's demonstrated as i think it is with malone that you know he's average at best uh and so they decide to keep him around i probably would have moved on from him actually after last season uh when not making the playoffs when he gave them some cover but you know that that wasn't what they're trying to do and maybe that's money maybe that's just you know as a as a management you want to have a feeling you know of veneer of stability if you will as well that things are on the right track if you fire the coach you know then that puts you that's like another uh nail in your coffin potentially as a gm so i don't know there's a lot of dynamics at play here but uh, malone well, so is there's not one other thing i want to mention yeah. and th- it ties in with that which is coaches salaries are also not if they, like the salary cap doesn't matter and all that kind of stuff so we've seen some nba teams as player spending is you know it's limited to a point it's the soft cap that facilities are getting better and all those kind of tactical advantages well having paying some money dead money to a coach that wasn't the right answer is kind of along those lines of something that you you try and it, it's not the same as throwing throwing two million into a facility or something like that. But if you are confident that somebody is not the answer, that's another argument for it because all it costs you is money, you know, money on that side of the ledger doesn't prevent you from signing a player or anything. The big news of the day we can get to now. Uh, after we plug real quickly uh, our ad-free podcast uh, with our patreon patreon.com slash duncan the if you uh, a lot of people have requested that and we're going to see over these next couple of weeks whether we get more patrons and whether they want to sign up uh and whether it's worth us to still have liam uh do that to post the ad-free uh you actually get an rss feed on patreon as a patron so you can just listen to it in your podcast player but without ads uh that could be another perk of the among the many others of our patreon but uh the news of the day the g league John Gavoni reports will for the first time next season have what are we known as select contracts these are for players who would be one and done type of players who are coming up through this usa basketball system that have been identified as some of the best there will be some gatekeeping here not sure exactly what that is going to be there's a, a committee to work out the details of this but basically these players are going to get one hundred twenty-five thousand uh, dollars to go to the g league and they also, of course, because they have turned pro, number one, they can get uh, endorsement contracts of any kind, shoe money, etc. And number two, I mean, if your plan is always to do this, you could be getting that money even earlier in high school. So you could really, you don't have to worry about NCAA eligibility earlier in high school. Now, Woj did say he doesn't think that a lot of players are going to do it. And he did provide, I think, a pretty decent reason for that which is these guys aren't going to want to go and get exposed. And and he says you also can still get paid when you're in college. You're going to play at much better facilities in college. It's not as hard. And you're playing against other guys who, you know, are your age or at least are only a few years older than you are. And, you know, while you may not get quite as good a preparation for the NBA playing the pro game or being able to train at a pro level all year, that's one of the perks of this 
going up against G League players with the average age is 25, even with the G League a little more watered down than it was a few years ago with all the expansion they've had and, and will have, that's a concern. And I think we're going to need to see players go through there and succeed and get drafted because you don't want to, you could average 20 a game in college and look good, or you can average seven points a game in the G League. And it's like, well, what is the baseline for like looking like a good prospect in the G League? Uh, and it's also, it's just a lot more fun to like be the BMOC and, uh, you know, you're not going to get life changing money with this 125K. It's just decent. You know, if someone to be believed, it's commensurate with what you get paid if you go to college anyway. So I don't know. I've gone on long enough here. What are your thoughts on this rule? To use a phrase you, you often deploy in a very different context. To me, this is winning the press conference for the NBA. That's what they're trying to do here. I do not think this is as substantive and my big opposite. It's not opposition to it because I'm, I support having more options for players but what i do not support is if this is part of the rationale for pushing back actually changing the age limit which is the actual answer here because the big difference between the g league and a guy going there for one year and the nba is incentives because a g league team has very little incentive beyond the kind of collective incentive to develop this player to nurture them to put them in a situation to succeed whereas if they were eligible to go into the nba that team has all the value in the world in it they they're tied in this guy presuming they don't change the rookie scale contract structure they have four years to figure out what they do and then restricted free agency and then they can put all these other processes to bear which are already set up like i mean the league if for people who read boys among men jonathan abrams great book on this the league wasn't really well suited to handle 18 year olds then i believe they're in a much better place now and if they're using this as kind of a buffer and that was something else that Woj talked about was that they're the right now they're not planning on incorporating the age limit until 2022 at the earliest. We had previously heard 2021 as a possibility that is now apparently off the table. And the G League just, they're not going to do that. I mean, these coaches have a lot of complicated things. And the biggest problem why this will always be a limitation is because there will never be a system in place where players play in the G League and then bypass the draft because there there is no way the 30 NBA teams would ever agree to that. And so then by having the NBA as a minor leagues imagine if there was a baseball player who went into the minor leagues but couldn't go to that to that major league baseball team they wouldn't develop them like it was one of their own guys because there isn't a reason to I've been saying that for a while and Dylan Murphy who uh, spent a lot of time in the G League we, he and I talked about this on a pod last year uh, about how not only do teams not necessarily have the incentive to, to develop a player who's not going to be around but that most of these guys really only the best of the best are going to help you win games even in the G League just with the lack of physical development I and mean, someone like uh, you know Darius Basley is a good example here and he's just going to sit out the whole season now rather than go to the G League he had a rough summer uh, apparently apparently it didn't really look good and so he doesn't want to go to the g league and not play at all he'd rather just remain more of a mystery he was i think initially going to go uh to syracuse and that's a, a cautionary tale to be sure uh and you know basley is he was on the nike hoop summit team you know he's probably you know the number 10 prospect or so uh, by the the consensus i haven't looked exactly at what his rci is but uh you know so if someone like that really can't contribute in the g league to winning and isn't going to play that's an issue now there is a, an awareness of that in Gavoni's article they talked about how they're going to try to come up with a system here where they are going to have that incentive and what that's going to be will be very interesting I will say though that I think those teams do have it to some degree number one they would just love to get the intel on these players to have them around uh 
maybe there will even be an element of choice where you know the the players can pick what team they're going to go to and what organization they're going to go to in some way at least so and then you know these players are going to have agents by this time agents who will have other clients they might the team might want to just show them a good experience because you know they might have that player again as a free agent and you know you just want to make a good impression overall you want to establish yourself as having a good culture and good development as well um so i mean i I think you know and and it's kind of bad press if you get this guy too who's going to be this awesome player and you don't play him so i'm very interested to see what kind of a system they come up with here this is also i think because the league finally to some degree is understanding that you know maybe college basketball is just taking money out of their pockets and like why not try to make some money off the g league if now every team is going to have to have this expense even the super cheap ones are finally getting there uh because they just if only due to peer pressure because it just looks so stupid to not have one at this point uh so maybe they'll come up with a good system but i completely second your point about hey why not just make it one and done now they certainly didn't like have any sort of process in place for the 2006 draft when they just took away one and done and made that draft suck ahead of time now that was probably unfair to not uh grandfather it in a little bit and there is a thought maybe that oh you know there's too many draft picks out there it's not fair to those teams but you know what like you take on a shitload of risks with graphics to begin with when you trade them so i well, and I, we've, I'm not we've known that this was coming for years like that this possibility has been out there since by even before the current cba was agreed to like this has been it's kind of been out there and they tabled it during those negotiations and everything else so and i heard like there were people in my mentions because i was critical of this on twitter saying oh well you know maybe they're trying to be nice to the scholarship system or whatever with college if that's true then the nba is making a major mistake they do not need to feel bad for college basketball basketball or anything else they do what's right for them college basketball would will do what's right for college basketball and that's fine i mean various people have made this point a lot college basketball is more of a competitor than a contributor to nba basketball and there are lots of different ways that you can think about that and so they they should treat it that way and there's no reason i mean they play at the same times sometimes they compete in the same media markets depending on how it all gets structured and it, it's crazy to me that they don't see it that way but that gets into something else that i want to talk about with this which is also visibility because whether or not we think it should matter visibility can often be important in terms of draft stock and in terms of endorsements and so as of right now the expectation has to be that players will get substantially more attention being a bmoc in college rather than playing in the g league when games are on youtube and i wouldn't expect that there's going to be some like tnt deal for g league games uh, if they start getting these I, I could see it it would have to be a pretty big star i mean yeah. I, th- I think for that for that no, to happen it wouldn't get the same and also think about the travel workload yeah it wouldn't get the same audience yeah like the, that's true yeah and so I, I think that it's a consideration but you know what what basley's doing is, is interesting and the idea that being somebody of mystery not getting exposed but also just like being able to work on your body work on your game without having to travel all the time i think that's another benefit and yeah. sure getting used to something more like the nba is there but i mean going to img academy anthony simons basically from what i understand did that but you know I, as of right depending on how immediately you need that money and i don't know how agent payments work in that structure too that's another thing that maybe if you know college is an option you can structure it differently but the answer here is just take away the goddamn age limit so just do it already also weird about this program is it's only to be available to the players who are at least 18 but they have to be 18 
by September 15th, which is not the same as the draft. You just have to turn have turned 19 by the end of the calendar year. So so you would have guys who would be draft eligible the next year who wouldn't be eligible for this program, which is really weird and, and I think stupid. I mean, we've seen like and who knows what's going to happen with European players and their eligibility for this. Uh, but you know some of the more prominent guys. I think uh, Aaron Gordon was in a September birthday. He might not have been eligible for this. Uh, Giannis is. Uh, pretty late dragon bender it, it was a, a late birthday as well so th- there are guys who are very late birthdays uh who wouldn't be eligible which it really makes no sense to me at all a couple very small quick hitters here andre guadala with calf tightness did not practice today questionable for tomorrow that means he's not going to play almost certainly i would imagine uh calves can linger and the warriors have no reason to push it whatsoever and then devon reed who was cut was not claimed on waivers he will sign a two-way with uh, the indiana pacers he got cut out of phoenix a number 32 overall pick in 2017 all right we got some games to talk about but first this could make tomorrow night's games really fun and that's DraftKings. their one day fantasy basketball is a great way especially in those big league pass days your wednesday your friday saturday sundays are fun too because the games are more spread out so you can actually watch all of your players those days and with DraftKings, it doesn't matter what your skill level is because there's actually a contest waiting for you there they have contests for example that you can only enter if you've played uh, for less uh, than 50 contests and they're going to have over 400 million dollars in prizes throughout uh, the nba season long-term fantasy basketball kind of tough to do especially just having to manage your roster every single day uh, with DraftKings, you get a fresh start every day it's that one day aspect uh, that really appeals uh, with daily fantasy you can download their app or head over to draftkings.com and use my code capspace easy to remember we talk about capspace all the time in the program and play for free with your first deposit. Get some of that $400 million in total prizes that will be up for grads throughout the season. That's code CAPSPACE to play for free with your first deposit only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, we got to start with the Lakers here. It was a crazy fast game, 128-119. These teams were on pace for 117 possessions before uh, things slowed down at the very end of the fourth quarter. Uh, The key stretch, it was 101-100. Lakers had gotten back into it, and Dame Lillard hit an impossible step-back three over pretty good defense from Lonzo Ball. Uh, Then zach collins with a huge block of a ball layup that led to a nick stauskas three stauskas had probably easily the best game of his career dropping 24 points on only 13 shooting possessions and hitting his first six shots including four of four from downtown in an incandescent performance uh in the first half and uh the blazers were able to roll from there i I thought the biggest thing though was that they really were able to clean up the easy points that the lakers were getting in the second half they had 50 points in the paint and 65 points overall in the first half and they finished with only 70 points in the paint so they really shut that down in the second half and with the lakers shooting 7 of 30 from three that was enough this crazy fast-paced game actually really was not a great offensive game for the lakers it was only about average overall i think one of the other takeaways from this game which is not exactly a surprise to those of us who had feelings about the sick kind of the second half of the lakers offseason was the emergence of players that are semi-buried by veterans i mean i thought josh hart meaningfully outplayed kcp and lance stevenson ended up getting more minutes than both of them technically we had 10 seconds more than than kcp and 
Also, the Lakers troubleshooting now. I do not think they're going to miss their first 15 threes very often, but there are a lot of players on this team that you don't necessarily worry about taking, much less making those shots. And so that will gum up the works for a lot of the other players on this team. I mean, you talked about this and and I mean, it was pretty easy to see that there were possessions. The Blazers are a smart team. They are a well-coached team where they would just help off of Lance, help off of Rajon Rondo. And that narrows the space for other guys to work. And there are differing levels of success for the Lakers. But if they're going to be in the playoffs, if they're going to try to win a playoff series or two, they need to be ready for teams to adjust to those sorts of players. Yeah, I'll get to some of that stuff in a second. I wanted to try to keep it a little broader, at least for my initial takeaways. The Lakers offensive system, given their personnel, it's pretty damn good i thought really like they do a lot of operating through the elbows they do lebron with his height is such a good passer that any kind of screening action under the rim whether it's hard cuts whether it's a flex cut if a guy just even gets open for a second he's gonna dime that guy up and get him a layup and so the lakers did do hard cuts lebron had some hard cuts as well uh rondo is obviously a great passer lonzo only had one assist but he's a an excellent passer passer as well uh, so oh, the lakers ultimately finished with only 23 assists uh, but they also are running some really nice split cut action in, in a different way from what you normally see and you'll normally see for example golden state get the ball into the post and then do split cuts that really only works if you have one of those guys that's a really good shooter who can pop out and shoot and then use the threat of that shooting to set up the back screening action instead what they love to do is get the ball to someone uh, near the free throw line at the top of the key in a two guard front and then have guys cross over and sprint to the basket off of that action and so when it's someone like lebron kcp is really fast lonzo is really fast like if you can get you're starting your cut from all the way out by half court give the ball up and then just start sprinting immediately and you actually can get a real nice advantage going to the rim they had some good plays off of that a, a few times so I, I will say that i think you know I, I the like touch time is not available yet but i thought they moved the ball around pretty well and i think that luke walton already from a stylistic standpoint on offense has implemented more of a system than basically we've ever seen for a lebron team and now down the end they did try to run a few small small pick and rolls we can talk about that later uh you know and it'll probably be more the lebron show in the last five minutes of games but it was not the lebron show today at all maybe it should have been more of the lebron show frankly uh but you know i thought just stylistically uh, i liked what i saw from the lakers given again the the limitations of their personnel and they did actually get up a fair number of three-point shots in the end 33 pointers is a a decent number to get up they just couldn't you know they're oh for their first 14 uh and then finished seven out of 16 and from the blazers perspective i think one of the more interesting and you could argue surprising takeaways from this game was was what they got from some of their bench guys i mean stauskas is 24 you already brought up zach collins had some of the biggest defensive plays in this game he had a series of big blocks he ended up with six but i mean it was throughout the game but then he he was on the floor late instead of yusuf nurkic and i thought he did a nice job overall and then i was surprised to see Mo Harkless playing it wasn't expected he did come off the bench and only played 18 minutes but I, I was still happy to see him out there and the Blazers are going to need all of that I, I thought there were moments when Seth Curry looked pretty good he's very confident in his shot and that can help out as yeah. well he, he looked so, he looked fast too I thought he looked like the same guy I remembered which which is always nice to see when a guy's been off injury for a year right so I, I think that the Blazers can can make those elements work and once they move Harkless back into the starting lineup where he belongs then that will help some of their defensive integrity I mean, well, he was thinking about yeah in, in this 
I was thinking in this game about how Neil O'Shea not valuing small forwards has really come back to bite them. And I was thinking about like, oh, they drafted Caleb Swanigan. They drafted Gary Trent. And oh, what, what are you talking Simons about? This past he, va- year. he values uh, Jake Lehman. <laughs> he he <laughs> guaranteed his contract when there was no reason to do so. Although he did have a nice summer league after that. And, and Lehman, Lehman got the Keith Bogans uh, in both halves. And it was also, I mean, we one of the ideas of not bringing back Ed Davis was that Zach Collins would be their backup five, but Myers Leonard still played in this game. He wasn't, you know, he didn't really do a ton and grabbed a couple of rebounds. Actually, he had four assists. I didn't even realize that. I think some of it was just moving the ball around to guys and them getting shots. But it was weird for me at moments to see him on the floor. Maybe they'll just straighten out some of those rotations. And, you know, that that happens over the course of the season. You don't expect a, a team's opening night rotation to be exactly what's going to be in game 70, much less game 82. So we'll see how all that works. And going back to the broader points of this well, game, can, I think can I one say, thing that was really encouraging was how... a few things more about, about how, this bench, uh, the bench before you, you turn Oh, uh, sure, if there. you want to. So Harkless, 18 minutes. He played well. He had three blocks. He was part of a big run that they had, but kind of looked to be laboring a little bit. I, I really, you know... And, yeah, and, I, you know, guys coming back too early from knee injuries is not something I like. Well, and he obviously, we talked about this before, he did that last year, and he's been struggling with that knee all through camp, and it still just did not look great. Like, he didn't look very comfortable out there even though you know he still was able to provide some serviceable minutes some good minutes on lebron and then the other big experiment for the blazers this year is they've long basically played zero minutes without either lillard or mccollum on the floor and they went in another direction from that this this year they played those guys mostly together and they have this second unit with curry and stauskas at the guards you know evan turner that does a lot of the ball handling with that unit as well that is a way to take advantage of turner a little bit more since neither curry nor stauskas are really point guard types uh you know and collins uh, as you mentioned played really well he, he closed for this team so it was the the first you know and now it helped that a lot of those minutes came with lebron off the floor but even when lebron came back in at the start of the second and fourth those guys didn't just get completely destroyed so that was, that was a good start uh and it'll be interesting to see how that trend continues uh, throughout the year so what i was getting at with the lakers was how aggressively they ran in oh, the yeah. early part of this game that's another I mean, that aspect was, it was of, incredible. of walton really you know another system thing that he's implemented uh with lebron that we have not seen before and one of lebron's bigger highlight dunks was actually running off a make one of my favorite things for teams to do when they have the opportunity i mean you do worry a little bit about running your guys a little bit ragged especially in the season when their conditioning isn't all the way there but the lakers have lots of guys to throw at these circumstances so they can you know they can go to some different lineups and i just you know i love seeing lebron and a lot of the other guys in a more up-tempo system because it opens things up and especially if your team is limited in shooting if you don't have to get into those circumstances where it's compressing the action it can really help yeah and i think this is a team that as talented as they are is really going to be reliant on other teams mistakes not getting back on defense over committing to the offensive boards we saw especially in that first quarter they really were turbocharged when Nurkic would go for the offensive glass uh and couldn't get it McGee runs the floor pretty well um and obviously LeBron they get the ball out of the room quickly even off of makes uh, to confuse the defense and then in the half court it's all right are you going to screw up with the communication on these cuts and you know are you going to fail to not guard the right guys right and the blazers really cleaned that up in the second half where 
they didn't guard rondo there's two plays early in the third quarter that sort of showed what the strategy was like hey remember this is rayshon rondo because and rondo actually hit a couple of layups early on and so i think they started overcommitting him a little bit there's one play where there was a pick and pop and they just left rondo and rondo went baseline and ended up uh, getting scared by nurkic and missing the layup there's another time where uh, there was a curl in the lane rondo had a, a wide open three in the right corner they, they let him shoot as well um and then lance stevenson they really stopped guarding him in the second half and lance really that's one of the ones that just he's the one who's made no sense at all for the same he and beasley too who did hardly played at all uh but lance like you're gonna play lance for 16 minutes and Lonzo Ball 19 minutes and KCP who admittedly had a terrible game 27 minutes and Josh Hart 27 minutes like how about you just give all those 16 Lance minutes to the three guys who are better and also happen to be the three guys on this team who actually will at least take a three-pointer because Lance I mean the the signature play was he's in the left corner being guarded by Evan Turner they get the ball to LeBron at the elbow run a nice back cut it would have been a dunk and Evan Turner 25 feet away from his man runs over and blocks an alley-oop dunk when his man is in the left corner because it's lance stevenson that happened a number of times the hilarity of evan turner and lance stevenson like guarding each other and and basically not guarding each other simultaneously and uh especially turner just because he's a smarter defender than lance just you know the irony there of like oh yeah i don't have to guard this guy just like they don't have to guard me you know it was i thought was pretty funny um but yeah having lance out there you know especially lance comes in he takes three shots in his first minute of action basically it's like what is the point of this guy on this team it was definitely striking something else that stuck out to me at at certain moments in the game not the whole thing but especially josh hart had no fear driving on he was awesome and finishing over and around him and i mean josh hart's a strong dude and it's not a surprise but there was also like one play where rondo went right after nurkic and so i was skeptical a lot of last year i mean i I trust dot scheme but this idea that the blazers were holding opponents to a ridiculously low success rate at the rim and the lakers are going to put more pressure on the rim than damn near anybody because of the way the passers they have and some of the finishers they have but i want to keep tabs on that throughout this season and i mean we already saw some of the dynamic between nurkic and collins collins was better in this game collins played more in crunch time in this game yeah nurkic actually sucked in the first half defensively i mean he really maybe it was just worrying about fouls but he was just totally uh like guys are just going right through him at the rim at heart is a, is a good finisher but like you know he actually was pretty effective at the rim last year uh and just was not able to do that this and he played better in the second half a, a little bit and he had a, a you know his typical okay offensive game 16 points uh on 15 shooting possessions for him uh six offensive rebounds and a lot of fast breaks given up the, the lakers did have 34 fast break points in this game and they also really pressured up on the perimeter a few times defensively he got some steals uh but when they weren't able to get steals i wasn't too impressed with their overall defense yeah heart is awesome kcp i thought had a really bad game not only with only five points and three shot attempts but more just that he was not his usual self defensively and people he's been slowed with an injury you know a little, some knee soreness in camp and just a, a, by all accounts hasn't had a good camp he did start and play 27 minutes but he just had a play a huge play where he lost cj mccollum for no reason and he hit a three in the late clock in the fourth quarter and just wasn't getting through screens wasn't providing the same pressure that he has generally th- throughout his career he, he usually pops off the screen with how quickly he's moving on defense how quick is closing down the space if he does get screened off and I just didn't see that for him tonight 
And one idea I had had was because I've liked KCP guarding point guards a fair amount because of the way he can navigate screens and was playing actually playing KCP and Hart together because you have LeBron winning oh, yeah. the show offensively. And maybe we'll see that at some point this year, but we didn't see much of that in game one. What do you think is the best lineup for the Lakers? What would you go to? Are in we counting? Time? Well, so I think the, the definites are LeBron, I mean, obviously. And Ingram had a nice game. I, I thought he did an, a good job defensively on CJ and his length just I, was, I, was. I a, thought it was a, better a, than good. I I thought he really frustrated uh, McCollum. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, I'm sure. In I I will say that too. And offensively, it's still kind of relying on on Ingram making jumpers and I I still don't completely trust it. I mean, a talented guy, but we'll, that shot is yeah. going to be a big belt for his twos career for Ingram and a lot and of long twos. And, and he's still, you know, he's really gotten to be pretty good getting to the basket, going to that right hand with his hesitation dribble or in transition, but he doesn't really seem to be able to go left still and there just isn't a, a, a ton of space at the rim on this team when they're not in, in transition. But I, I think, you know, a few too many long twos. I also didn't really like the rotations for Walton in that respect, where, you know, he had Ingram playing a lot of his minutes with James. I'd like to see him get more of a chance to handle the ball uh, on the second unit. Uh, and, and you know ingram 16 points on, on 15 shots 04 from three i, I want to say that all of his shots came from the corners uh, or close to it um and lebron also was 0 for four on threes as well but and only one assist for ingram only one assist for lonzo ball as we mentioned that's that's not amazing um and, and the lakers despite the fact that i thought they moved the ball around in terms of time of possession 23 assists is not an amazing number 23 assists on 45 field goals for the lakers is not so good two other things i wanted to mention on the lakers worth tracking for a lot longer than this when they went to some of those small lineups my biggest concern with it has not been and people talk about the rebounding and there were some foibles that they had on on the defensive glass in this game but for me the way that you attack a team that's playing small that that doesn't have let's say Draymond Green at center is getting to the basket because they don't have help defenders they don't have rim protectors and so there were a couple times late when Dame got by his guy and then there was just no resistance there was nothing there and so if the first line of defense isn't strong you can can get a parade to the basket and that's a concern that i have about some of those lineups when they're playing lebron and kuzma at the four and five however you want to define terms between those two guys and there aren't many teams who have a six foot eight guy six foot nine guy and lebron when he's engaged can do some of that stuff but it's never really you know it's a little bit of a different role that he's occupied and so i want to see how that, those lineups rebound and i want to see how they protect the paint yeah getting back to the idea of what their best lineup is uh, i think it's more really and we said this many times end of games playoffs sometimes it's more about just just not having any weaknesses uh and you know if you have guys who can't shoot or you have guys who can't guard you know those are the two things that i think you really need to avoid at the end of games and so to me i would say there if you have javel mcgee out there you know you're not gonna be able to guard someone like dame lillard in a high pick and roll especially if it's rondo so i thought rondo actually gave more defensive effort in this game than he normally does even in the post a, a little bit you know, i think having lebron on his team is good for him there he even like had a couple of nice ball denials that short-circuited some plays uh but and, and the lakers you know do provide some pressure i thought that was a, a big part of why they improved defensively last year but you know rondo and javel you're not going to stop anyone with that pick and roll defense combination at the point of attack you really can't have javel out there at the end of games especially against someone like lillard they had to take him out and then if you go with kuzma he provides a shooting element although he was one of seven tonight but really as a switch defender inadequate uh, you know trying to 
the difference between like him and ingram trying to guard cj mccollum on a switch like mccollum was getting great separation he was getting great looks the couple of times he got matched up on kuzma it wasn't many but enough to give you the idea that you know kuzma really could not stay with him uh you know not to mention someone like lillard so what does that leave you and then rondo can't really shoot uh stevenson obviously can't shoot so what does that leave you it leaves you probably ingram lebron kcp hart and then i think lonzo ball i think that would be and ball at least you know the one good thing that he did was uh shot the ball okay from three in this one i thought his, his jumper looked a little bit more compact a little bit more normal than i remember seeing from last year so that was probably would uh, would be my closing lineup against a lot of teams you got uh, the ability to switch with that group unless you have you know like a huge Giannis on a type of guy you've got uh, all guys who are pretty locked in defensively who are smart uh as much shooting as you can really get with this team so that would probably probably be my option but i think you know they're a long way away uh, from getting to something like that it seems uh with some of these other guys that they brought in and, and you know i think that's uh that's kind of a problem it will take time to figure this out. And there are some fundamentals here that I really, really liked, especially if you think about the next team, you know, the 1920 with the offensive elements that they had in place. You're like, oh, if they have better personnel, if they figure all this stuff out, they'll be a much better team. You know, if they, whoever they sign in free agency, if they separate out some of the chaff on this team, I think that there's, there's a lot there to like, but it's going to take some time to get there. And so that will make the Lakers in some ways more compelling to watch this year, but also more frustrating because it will take some time. And, you know, there's a chance that we're, we're wrong on there's certainly a chance that we're wrong on how how this mixes and how this fits together but I think today was a a data point that especially with guys like Lance Stevenson indicating that the the veteran additions are more ill-suited than the holdover young guys the other thing I'll say too is they tried to do the small small pick and rolls that have so bedeviled teams playing against LeBron, but they tried to do it with Rondo. And the reason that play works is because if you try to double team LeBron, then you've got a shooter popping to three, a J.R. Smith, a Kyle Korver. And if it's Rondo, he's not going to pop to three. They did have one time where they got him the ball on the move at the free throw line and Rondo's a decent decision maker, but he's not really a threat to just come down the lane and score it. And so you really like... I'll take that situation when LeBron's running a pick and roll. So I don't think that he's really a great option to run that play either. And so again if you're not gonna have the ball in his hands having him out there at the end it could be pretty limiting and i do i will say i'll give rondo a lot of credit in terms of like his ability to shoot like compared to where he was say at the end of his dallas tenure like he's actually evolved pretty well i mean he's shooting more at the rim these days he's taking more threes he's making more threes he's actually tried to work on some of his weaknesses i think uh but those weaknesses are certainly still there and you know at the end of games it it can be taken advantage of um anything else on this one or, or should we move on it we don't have to do quite as much on these other two games since they were uh you know not as exciting I, I really wanted to talk a lot about what we were able to learn from the lakers today i think we can move on but i'll let you choose which of the two games you want to start with well you watched a lot more of this miami washington game uh than i did i watched it more of philly and chicago um but let's talk a little bit of, about this 113 112 miami victory um i could talk a little bit more about the the last five minutes because i did lock in in on that but what were your overall takeaways on uh uh, this game which saw uh, Miami in the first back-to-back of the NBA season come away with a uh, brutal Southwest Division victory. 
Southeast, but close enough. <laughs> I, I, I once made that mistake on a uh, when I was for one of the division podcasts for Real Jam Radio, so I'm attuned to it. But the I, a lot of this game just kind of went to form where Miami's defense eventually kind of broke down some of what Washington was doing. Well, they started out strong. John Wall came out, hit some shots, and physically, I thought he looked better than I expected, which is great. You, you wanted, I mean, that's such an important part for John Wall. You know, still he's still one year away from getting into that into that extension right because he had two years left on his contract Am I remembering yes that correctly? he bumps up to 37.8 million dollars uh estimated to start next year we yeah because it depends on where the actual cap gets it so at that moment you're like okay maybe washington's really starting to figure it out and then partially it started when wall came out of the game and it was backups versus backups in miami even without a bunch of players that we expect to be in the rotation like james johnson and Dion waiters they still were able to execute still able to make life hard and they got a, a career high scoring night from josh Richardson, 28 points, 8 of 21 from the field, 5 11 from 3, 7 of 8 from the line. And I, this, some of the free throws he got I was a, were a little bit dubious. The fans were more skeptical than I was, but that's what happens with a home crowd. And I think Magruder's 20 were either, oh no, it was Derek Jones Jr. that had a career high. He had 17. And he looked like a natural fit for Miami, yeah. you know, super athletic and compete, all that. And the, the other kind of big takeaway for me with this game is I trust Miami's defense, you know, pretty fully, entirely. And offensively, I can I you could see times where it's gonna ebb and flow. Dragic looked rough for significant portions of this game. And you could talk about it in the last five minutes, but there were possessions where Wade looked good, but then you know, his his instincts are still generally really strong. And so sometimes he makes plays that other guys just wouldn't even really be in the mix for. Like he gets a rebound that's kinda of out of nowhere, and then he's able to get it to a teammate. Like there was one where he got the ball and swung it around to Olinick. That was really nice. And they those guys will have those moments, but they don't really have a lot of other things to fall back on in terms of creating the initial seams and so they're probably going to have a little bit too much on Richardson's plate offensively for me to really trust them on that end of the floor but their defense is still awesome yeah Wade nine points only two free throws and uh 12 shooting possessions so pretty ugly efficiency from him overall and Dragic with that three of 18 who was pretty rough also but but to get 65 combined points out of Richardson Jones and Magruder Richardson took a ton of shots last night too uh he was very inefficient from two but it went five of eleven from downtown was taking some threes off the dribble he's, he's definitely looks to have expanded his game and even uh, turnovers have been a big problem for him in the past but he actually only had two despite the high usage that was impressive um for washington Jan oh Mahini, i had one yeah, other ahead, thing sorry yeah, that's actually where I wanted to go was that so Dwight Howard did not play in this game and that led to so you're kind of sitting there going, well, what's Washington going to do with center spot? Mahimi only played 12 minutes, though. I think a lot of that was not due to intention. That was just due to surprise, surprise. John Mahimi committed a bunch of fouls. <laughs> We've seen this movie before. It happens. Jason Smith was the only other traditional center that played in minutes. Thomas Bryant was technically active, but did not play in this game. Smith played 15. So what they went to a lot was Markeith Morris at center. And, you know, I think they did pretty well overall in those lines. But something that was striking was in the late portion of this game, even though they were playing Markeith at center, Eric Spolstra kept us on Whiteside out there on the floor. And I think he did more harm than good during those minutes just because he wasn't providing as much value defensively. Yeah, I saw you tweet about 
about that i did watch those last five minutes i didn't actually see them get any buckets when he screwed up there was one pick and pop three markeith got that was wide open but you know i'm not that worried about a markeith morris pick and pop three we've been waiting for him to make the three ball consistently uh, for his entire career i actually thought it was josh richardson who broke down a couple of times in the last five minutes where he just brad beal just made cuts without a screen and just beat him uh twice for layups um one was a beautiful pass from john wall when they're setting they're setting up a screen and then beal just went back door on it but still you expect more uh, from josh richardson and with the wizards with markeith out there we're switching everything miami was not able to get good shots on the end miami is a very switchable offensive team they don't really have anybody who can beat one-on-one coverage at this point they don't really have you know suppose is a good coach but they don't really have that type of system where you know they're going to get quick hitters off of switches they don't have that type of recognition uh so I, I was not impressed with the the shots they were able to get down the end, but they did just enough. Josh Richardson was able to uh, hit a big three off a conventional pick and roll coverage uh, when they went under on him. Then he was uh, off kind of a scramble situation, able to get to the rim, got some uh, some dubious fouls, as you talked about. And then Washington, the the one time that Whiteside probably didn't help, which you you may have been thinking of, I, I'm guessing, was when he switched on to John Wall in the last minute of the game and gave up those free throws. Is that what was sticking out in your mind? Yes, it was. Yeah, but he also actually. Yeah, he- blocked yeah, because, Bradley Beal on a drive in the last five he minutes did. too well and then the other the other part with Hassan Whiteside is that he's not exploiting anything offensively like you're not going to throw the ball into Hassan Whiteside and have him beast on Markeith Morris or anything yeah. like that so he, he's very switchable that's the advantage created by Sin. yeah yes. Whiteside is not like a good enough post-up guy and, and he's a great pick and roll roll man but if they're you're switching that kind of takes that away and he's not going to be like oh they're switching I'm gonna like sprint hard to the rim and like beat this guy there and and get an alley-oop you know he's he's pretty slow uh but i, I mean i still maintain that he's going to play better this year than he did last year and and it, you know he was I, I didn't think he was awful when he was out there but uh spo no, i didn't either spo made the big sub by going to kelly olenic at the end olenic getting the offensive rebound off of a Dwayne wade fadeaway they tried to do the uh which is becoming a common one here the inbound the ball to the elbow and then the fake handoff to induce some confusion with the switch and then you know fake the handoff and then dribble to the rim but the wizards were all over it switched it perfectly wade had to take an impossible fade away and morris just did not really box out on olenic he never really looked to hit him he just kind of let olenic run in right next to him and olenic amazing rebound and then great fundamentals to hold the ball up if he brings it down he probably a doesn't get it off in terms of time and b might have gotten stripped so he held the ball above his head and he's got great touch around the rim and uh hit the game winner with point two remaining and it continued a storyline from this game because kelly olenic was persona non grata in i don't know the name of their arena right now because of his issues with kelly Oubre back when olenic was a member of the boston celtics and the fans were booing him consistently throughout this game and something that was amusing i guess you could say to me on that last play was there was a foul i mean from what i could tell rodney magruder basically grabbed otto porter and then and threw him out of the play on a on a play that unless a ref sees it straight on they're never going to call because it's just yeah. you know it's the last it's the scrum but even if that you know that that foul existed marky Morris still could have put a body on kelly olenic and yeah. and made that harder and then the foul wouldn't have mattered nearly as much and so i'm sympathetic because there was some you know some untoward action involved in the play but if marky morris does his job they're going and also another factor in that play was there wasn't much time so if olenic didn't get such a clean look at the rebound yeah. he might not have even been able to get the shot or either as good a shot up or a shot at all 
couple other interesting notes here jeff green was actually in the closing lineup uh he played 33 minutes in this one third most on the team but had an excellent game 17 points he had eight points in the the fourth quarter went two of four from downtown so it was a good jeff green uh day and his uh homecoming we'll uh, see if that's going to continue it's not uh but you know he played more than Ubre. uh austin rivers had an okay game uh, with 25 minutes he played more than sataransky who was basically used as the straight backup uh to john wall he only played a couple of minutes alongside wall in this one uh anything else on this one before we move on to uh chicago and philly well, I'll mention briefly that I was excited to see Bam Adebayo grab and go a little bit in this game. I hate something he did in summer league both years, and he should have full license in Miami just because then everybody else can run forward, and sure, he should be passing it to somebody else if they want to attack, but that's something he brings that Hassan Whiteside does not. After game one, Hassan Whiteside 3-0, Hassan Whiteside assist 0. <laughs> An important update. Uh, also noteworthy, we mentioned the Wizards' small lineup. The Heat stayed big pretty much, at least with one traditional big man the whole time and they killed the wizards on the offensive glass it was quite apropos that it, the game was won on an offensive rebound because uh 40 offensive rebounding 22 offensive rebounds for miami uh, against that small wizards lineup um and john wall had a pretty nice game that's that was uh, good to see 26 points and nine assists he was efficient as well got to the foul line a, a fair amount um all right let's get to philly and chicago the bulls came out it's gonna be a different Bulls season 41 points in the first quarter. Zach Levine, Bobby Portis, 11 for their first 12. Completely unstoppable. And Levine would remain unstoppable with 30 points on 11 out of 19. Uh, but the Bulls just got completely shut down in the middle two quarters. And the game was over halfway through the third. Uh, also facilitated by the Sixers going back to the real lineup uh, with J.J. Redick starting the second half. And that lineup predictably completely destroyed the Bulls. Um, you don't need to get too much into the nitty gritty here uh marco fultz did hit uh, some jumpers hit a three-pointer in the fourth quarter that looked okay he turned down a th- corner wide open corner three early in the game that had the uh the philly tr- crowd not pleased with him and he finished five out of 15 overall but uh, uh how much of this game do you see i know you you watched uh wendell carter jr's performance early uh i know you didn't see as much of this one but what did you see from him in, in his uh first quarter stint against joel Embiid? i still like a lot of elements of his game just the w- the way that he he's intelligent and there were some moments where he he i I actually wish he would been a little bit more aggressive at moments because his his jump shot's not bad but he got into some foul trouble with Embiid, and that's not a surprise i mean Embiid's a very tough guy to guard and carter picked up one quick one as soon as he picked up the early one i think it was in the first like four or five possessions of the game i'm sitting there going oh this is going to go badly because then he you know it wasn't quite blonde coat or anything like that but he couldn't be as aggressive as physical with joel Embiid because getting that second one you know then you're coming out of the game there's that's an automatic for you know it's kind of like when when you're in college or any of those those sorts of circumstances but overall i thought i thought he was fine i think it'll be a good learning experience for wendell carter that's precisely what he said after the game (laughs) that it wasn't his best it it is and 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 it would be a learning experience i think the biggest takeaway for me from this game was the continued offensive success for zach levine i mean he's looked really good on that end of the four you know defensively it, it might not come around yet but if he can be a reliable offensive engine it looks like it's still more creating for himself but hell, if you can create 30 points for yourself off of 22 shooting possessions, I'll take it every day of the week. Well, and the big difference to me for Levine, uh, even last year when he came back from the ACL, he couldn't finish. But he actually was getting to the rim in the foul line much more than he did in Minnesota. And now, you know, he's playing in a much more modern offense than he was back then with the more modern personnel. At least the Bulls put guys out there who can shoot generally. Uh 
but you know he was only two out of seven from three and he was hitting some tough threes uh you know the two that he hit were off the dribble and you, know, you have to certainly have to guard him off the dribble and that makes him very difficult to guard he's got that high release he can get it off but for him to go nine for 12 on two pointers and really get to the rim he had a beautiful finish over Embiid he's finishing more powerfully you know I don't know if he's quite the same athlete as far as just like the ridiculous dunk contest dunks but the thing that was always so frustrating about him was he's such a good athlete and but he's that you know doesn't really get to the rim very much he actually wasn't a great finisher as well when it wasn't a dunk and he wasn't actually able to dunk that much in the half court it was just kind of full court you know showtime type of stuff and that's really changed you know he has filled out his body quite a bit since that acl injury in minnesota he's able to go through guys got to the foul line in this one so you know the early returns he still is horrible on defense don't get me wrong he's like tr- them trying to find place to hide him was hilarious against the sixers team because it was like he had to guard jj reddick which is a complete joke like zach, zach levine might be the absolute worst person in the league to try and match up with jj reddick at the shooting guard position uh or he had to guard ben simmons uh because they also had campaign out there uh chris dunn was in chicago for the birth of his child uh campaign Kendall Gill uh, on the Chicago Bulls affiliate said basically the campaign experiment needs to end. He was 0 for 4, just did have five assists, but, you know, was negative 18 at zero points. Uh, and, you know, he's not making up on defense when he weighs about a buck 60 as well. Um, Bobby Portis had a really nice start to the game and then predictably cooled off. I mean, he doesn't. Portis is a skilled offensive player, although he never, ever goes right shoulder. He has a really nice right handed jump hook. A good three-point shot can get on the offensive glass he's an active cutter i think he's actually like a solid offensive player although you know he doesn't generate quite that many good shots to like really be efficient you know but you know he can create offense for you i think he's much better cast on the second unit but he's terrible defensively uh you know he and and levine uh gave up a number of dunks bobby portis was actually trying to guard ben simmons at one point and uh two dunks and two possessions later uh he was not guarding ben simmons anymore um jabari parker playing in that facilitator role off the bench didn't really get a chance to do much of that get out and transition much uh, only had one assist and you know a very jabari parker-esque efficiency line with negative 14 15 points on 16 shots um i did like just a little bit of what i'd seen from antonio blakeney who was on a two-way last year uh, had a full nba contract for this season and blakeney who's a teammate of simmons at lsu a year probably neither of them would like to remember he just he's a decent shooter but i just wanted to note that he really pops athletically you know even as like a 6-2 guard but like you know that carries over from summer league like he actually looked like a pretty damn good athlete out there even at the nba level um I don't know, you got anything else here or should I just continue to ramble on with my observations about the Sixers? Well, one thing I'll mention is that Archdiakono ended up with eight assists, but five of those came in the fourth quarter when the game yeah. was basically over. He, he, so, he's, uh, yeah, sure. he, he's not an NBA quality point guard. I mean, he's pretty pretty much like a, a wallflower. I mean, this this game had 18 minutes of garbage time, essentially. And, and remember that partially it was as a cap clearing move, if memory serves, but I mean, they basically dumped Jaron Grant on the Orlando Magic and they have yeah. no point guards other than Chris done that created the space uh to sign parker for the sixers it was 
back to reality kind of in a good way of like oh yeah this is what this team is against three quarters of the league when they're not going up against this uh, awesome boston celtics defense joel Embiid continues to look like a beast i know he's, he didn't have the greatest efficiency line against the celtics but his post-ups looked a lot better going against uh, wendell carter and robin lopez 30 points got to the foul line for 14 attempts he was six out of his first seven and, and had 16 points at the end of the first quarter and that's a change for him we haven't seen him put up that many lines you know he's kind of more of a usage guy you know league average efficiency maybe a little better than that uh we haven't seen him put up these lines of you know 30 points on 14 shots you know and he also had four blocks he was just a completely patrolling the paint after that first quarter when the the bulls were on fire uh and they really could not get anything going offensively other than Levine in this game. And, you know, I think with Markkanen back, maybe that changes. It, this is, is very clear how much they need Markkanen uh, and just uh, the threat that he provides is like a really good three-point shooter. Um, ben Simmons, triple-double. And with how fast the pace is around the league, like I could actually see him averaging a triple-double this, this year. I mean, so the pace was 108 in this game, 109 in the Wizards-Miami game. And as I said, it was on pace. I don't know what the exact number was eventually, but on pace to be 117 in that Blazers-Lakers game. And that's like almost that last game is like 1960s level. Like they are averaging 120, 125 possessions a game back then. And so you could see that if this happens, I mean, and remember probably, even like the the warriors led the league in pace i think in 2014 15 and they were like 100 possessions a game and now like the average game so far this year has been like 106 like that's insane how much things have changed we've got uh, part of it is getting a bunch of new coaches in a guy guys who love to bomb from three and uh you know i mean the warriors have really just changed the way that nba basketball is played uh it seems like I and mean, even when the suns came in like pace would increase a little bit but it wasn't this drastic i mean it's like the the if this holds throughout the entire year the average pace of the game will have increased by like 10 possessions in like less than five years and that's insane and you can think about all the impacts that will have on counting stats and everything else and so it be people who who fetishize triple doubles scoring totals all those sorts of things will be there and that's part of the reason why it's good that a lot of that has turned to rate stats and turned into uh, balancing things by possessions because that helps moderate some of these impacts that that if you just look at the like 10 you know 127 108 type scores that that you won't won't be reflected necessarily yeah i mean the bulls put up 108 points at this game and scored at a level that would have been by far the worst in the league last year below a 100 offensive rating so uh or it was, it was pretty close i mean it was, it was right at 100 so um yeah all right that's about all i got uh, on this one uh anything to talk about before we depart here the twitter nba show that's what we should talk about yeah we're gonna do that tomorrow for raptors celtics which i cannot wait for in toronto five o'clock pacific tomorrow eight o'clock eastern so we'll uh we'll do that and uh again i tweeted this out during the day today getting getting some good questions 15 and 60 on the east sunday night we're actually going to do one mailbag question for each team uh and, and i think that's going to be a lot of fun our first time trying that we really wanted to do a 15 and 60 but there's not really enough yet in terms of like statistics it's probably not even really possible for us to see a full game of every team uh by sunday in the level of detail that we'd like to so instead uh we will be doing this and you know uh 
should be fun uh what about on your end you got anything to talk about uh with the athletic theathletic.com slash cap space i'm working on a series of pieces basically on the broader scale of the 2019 offseason but i don't know if any of those are i was actually working on a piece today on all the guys that i think could be max players next year so that that'll be i don't know when it's coming out i'm guessing it'll be early next week instinct and then also real gym radio probably will come out over the weekend i'm recording it tomorrow but i don't know how much time i'll have to edit it because we'll do the twitter show tomorrow night all right talk to y'all next week you must love hoops if you're enjoying another great episode of dunked on the locked on podcast network has more hoops for you locked on has a podcast on every nba team if you're a lakers fan a bucks fan a celtics fan or a mavericks fan the locked on podcast network has a daily podcast on your favorite team all 30 nba teams have a daily podcast at locked on search on apple podcasts google podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.